Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, New Covenant. Are we there? There we go. Good morning, New Covenant. That was really wimpy in its second service. What's up with that? You guys are supposed to be more awake. Good morning, New Covenant. God is good to us. What a blessing it is that we get to be here. It's funny that the last song that we just sang, My God, My God, I Need You, um, that's a song that the Deshaup family has been singing a lot lately. Uh, Some of you all know that the road that it took for us to get here to Albuquerque was a rough one for a few years. And then we finally landed in Albuquerque and we're thinking, oh, we're here. We can let down a little bit. We've been here for 10 months. We've had five flat tires. All three cars are broken down. One significant to where like the engine had to be completely repaired. And then three of the four of us just in the past six weeks have been in either ER or urgent care. So it started with my youngest. She decided to fillet her thumb like one of those where you get the cut, but it's like flapped open. Like it's, yeah, I would explain more, but some of you will start to lose it. So Uh, And then right after that, I decided to bust the left ankle again, been notorious for that. So that was great. And then Tuesday night after young adults, um, my daughter, my oldest daughter, got plastered from behind. So our car that we just spent thousands getting fixed is now completely out of commission because she got nailed from behind at a fairly high rate of speed in one of those yield turns. And so we're looking at all this and going, could it get much worse? And the answer is... Yes, we could be doing all of it without Jesus, and yet he walks with us through all of it. Um, we're also greatly encouraged by the fact that when we pick up, pick up the book of Revelation, and we take a look at what the world is going to be like for those that have not trusted Christ, oh yeah, we're not going through much. But all that to be said, we need him. We need him every second of every day, and we have a real enemy that would love to get us to believe that we don't need him. We don't need Jesus. Well, I'm going to do things a little bit backwards this morning. Typically, we read through our passage first, and then we look at what we call our thesis statement or our big idea. It's the same as last week, so I'm going to cover it first this week, but our goal in Revelation 13, and remember at the beginning of Revelation 13, we looked at this person called the Antichrist. In the second half of Revelation 13, we're looking at what we would call the sinister's minister. He's the false prophet. We need to know that based off the antichrists that are in the world today, paving the way for the antichrist, the false prophets that are in the world, paving the way for the ultimate false prophet, are going to do everything they can to deceive mankind from worshiping Jesus, which is why our big idea is to know the true Jesus by knowing the true gospel so that we won't be fooled by the fakes. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of deception out there right now. There's a lot of spiritual deception. You've got a real-life enemy that would love for people to believe anything other than Jesus is God in flesh, who died on a cross for their sins, powerfully defeated sin and death and Satan by rising again and believing that he's actually coming again. The enemy would love for us to believe anything but... So here's what we're going to do. We tackled the Antichrist last week and who he is. This week we're going to tackle his minister, the false prophet. It's found in Revelation 13, verses 11 through 18. And I'm just going to ask you again this week, if you are able to stand with us as we honor our king, would you just stand as we read Revelation 13, 11 
through 18. John writes this, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Thank you, gang. You can have a seat. So as we mentioned, we want to know the true Jesus by knowing the true gospel so that we don't get fooled by the fakes. And one of the ways that the fakes comes in or one of the things that Satan does is he loves to use his agendas. He uses satanic agendas to move us further and further away from Christ. We see it rampant in our society today. It's rife in our society. These agendas that are trying to pull people away from Jesus. Now again, let's be clear. Everything that we see happening today whether it be socioeconomic, whether it be political, whether it be religious, if it doesn't honor Jesus, it's got a satanic agenda behind it. And it is to pull people away from the true Jesus. There's another thing that we're going to see, and it's in Revelation 13, 11 through 18, but that is beware of satanic religions. Say, did you know that Satan loves religion? Let's do a little history real quick. Do you all know what the very first man-made religion is, when and where it happened? It actually happened in Genesis chapter 3, when at the fall of man. You may be thinking, well, where do we see the first false religion happen in Genesis 3? It's right there in the garden. Adam and Eve sin, and immediately they recognize their sin because they recognize that they've got shame. And what they could have done was fallen down on their knees before God Almighty and said, I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. But what did they do instead? They made fig leaves to cover up their nakedness, to cover up their shame. There's the first man-made religion. Because what is religion all about? It's man's attempt to atone for his own sin. It's man's attempt to make up for his own sin, for his own evil doing. And then God comes in the garden. And now remember, God knows everything, but he gives them a chance to repent. Adam, Eve, where are you? It's not like he doesn't know where they're at. Remember, if you're going to play hide-and-go-seek with God, you'll lose every time. He knows right where they're at. Then he basically asks them, what have you done? And what's their response? Well, Adam's like, well, it's her fault. Well, of course it is. It's always the woman's fault, right? Her fault. And then the woman's like, hey, it's not me. It's on the snake. And ultimately, they end up pointing back to, well, God, really, this is your fault because you made the woman and you made the snake. And we've been doing that ever since. We've also been trying to cover ourselves up ever since. Now, bear with me. I want to share with you, and I want to make this as clear as I can possibly be before we get any further 
into this. Our goal is not to go out and win arguments and fights with somebody that is wrapped up in a false religion or in a cult. Our goal is to be people that go behind enemy lines and rescue them from something that will kill them. And so in saying that, I want to share with you some of the ways in just five of the major religions that we know of that Satan has worked through little p false prophets, paving the way for the ultimate false prophet. But I want you to hear what each of these have in common, and I'm going to share some things that they have in common uh, from a man that I respect much, that has done much good work when it comes to reaching people that are in cults and false religions. A guy named Ron Rhodes gives us a really good overview of just five of the religions that are in our communities and society that are leading people away from Jesus. The first started with a man by the name of Siddhartha Gautama. If you don't know who Siddhartha Gautama is, he is the founder of the Buddhist religion. And he had this vision while out underneath a Boab tree of what we must do in order to be absorbed back into the universal oneness. And it's this eightfold path of enlightenment. Did you hear right off the bat that it takes away from who Jesus is, what he's done, and adds works to salvation? There was a man by the name of Muhammad who started the Muslim religion, or what we would call the Nation of Islam. He teaches that God is a distant deity and that you just hope that you do enough good things to make Allah happy, that you would be able to balance the scales of justice in your favor, and that he would let you into heaven. There's an endless array of works that one would have to do, including entering into jihad, or what we would call holy war, in order to get to heaven. There was a man by the name of Joseph Smith as a teenager who started what we would call the Mormon religion, who taught that man, myself, I can become a god and oversee my own planet, that I get exalted to godhood and I get my own planet and I get my own kingdom through an endless array of good works, never knowing if I've done enough. He has turned Jesus into the spirit brother of Satan and not God Almighty. Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witness religion, teaches that Jesus is actually Michael the Archangel. And the way that we appease uh, Heavenly Father or Jehovah is by doing an endless array of good works and just hoping that we've done enough to inherit paradise and would not be annihilated with the wicked. And then there is the Pope passing down from the Vatican in Rome down to the Roman Catholic Church that we have to be involved in what is called progressive justification. Progressive justification teaches that there is an endless array of steps that you must take. Everything from infant baptism to mass to paying penance to, again, an endless array of things you have to do in order to be saved, which takes away from the very work of Christ on the cross. In his book, The Challenge of the Cults and New Religions, Ron Rhodes writes about multiple things that would deem a group or an organization either a false religion or a cult. He says, first of all, they claim to have new revelation from God. He says, in cults, greater credence is generally given to new revelation than what God has already revealed in the past. If there is ever a conflict between the new revelation coming from the new prophet and conflict with the past revelations, the new revelation is always viewed as being authoritative. Secondly, he says there's a denial of the sole authority of the Bible. Once somebody stands before you and says the Bible is not enough, run for the hills. God has given us everything we need to know about who he is, who we are, and our desperate need for him in the word of God. 
There's a cult expert. His name is Anthony Hoikema. He did a really good job of pointing out how cults will raise their own books above that of the Bible itself. He writes this, God is no longer allowed to speak as he does in the Bible. He may now speak, but only as the sect leader deems proper. Thus the word of God is brought under the yoke of man. Well, the third thing he says is that in a cult or a false religion, there's always a denial of the Trinity. That is that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are God Almighty, which leads us into a denial of the full deity of Christ. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He has existed in eternity past. He will always exist. There are way, way too many passages for me to go through in Scripture. But just a few alone, such as John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. That word was is what we call uh, in the imperative. Uh, it's an, or I'm sorry, it's an indicative. It's just state simply what Jesus is. And it's in what we call the imperfect tense. The imperfect tense means that it's something that happened in the infinite past and will go on forever into the infinite future. Just that little Greek preposition was being used in the imperfect tense tells us that Jesus always has been, is, and always will be God Almighty. That's the Jesus that we serve. Don't ever let anybody tell you different. Then there's the devaluation of the work of Christ on the cross. In other words, Jesus' death on the cross isn't good enough, so there's got to be something else that we have to do. It's either got to be works or paying money to somebody's organization or you name it. There's something else that has to be added. Listen, the Jesus that I serve, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of history, came and he died and he paid the penalty for all of my sin, past, present, and future, regardless of anything that I have to offer back to him. Which, by the way, isn't much. In fact, let's be honest. As human beings, I got nothing to offer God Almighty. What does God need from me? What does he not already have that I might offer him back? Have you ever thought to yourself, man, Lord, you are lucky to have me? Oh, man. As soon as I think that, I go and I bust an ankle. So, there's also the denial and the personality and the, and the, of the deity of the Holy Spirit. There's the denial of the personality and the deity of the Holy Spirit. We turn him into an impersonal force or something other than being God Almighty. There's two more that Ron Rhodes hits on that are important for us to know. And that is the denial of salvation by grace through faith alone. Again, I can't do anything to get God to forgive me. He has to willingly choose to do it because of his grace and because of his mercy. Cults, Ron Rhodes writes, will oftentimes play lip service to salvation by grace. But by this, they typically mean that because of God's great favor, humans now have the wonderful opportunity to work out or work for their salvation. That is anything but scriptural. And then here's the last one. They deny the priesthood of the believer. What do we mean by that? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are told that all believers, doesn't matter how old you are, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're brown, white, black, doesn't matter if you're male or female, if you have trusted the Lord Jesus as Savior, you are considered a priest before God. Nobody has to go to God on your behalf. But a cult will always teach that somebody has to tell you what to think. Listen, I think I've hit on this before, but... I'm, I'm blessed to get to be your teaching pastor, to get to be your lead pastor. 
You don't need me, or at least you shouldn't, though. It's a privilege to get to help you understand Scripture better, but I want you to leave this place and not need myself or somebody else to go to God on your behalf, because you don't. God gave you the Bible to study just like He gave me. He may have given us different gifts to understand it and to explain it, but He gave you the same Bible He gave me. He gave you the same Holy Spirit living inside of you that He gave me. So therefore, you can now leave this place and go study Scripture on your own. Cults will tell you the opposite. You are not to study the Scriptures on your own. You are not really even to think for yourself. Somebody else is supposed to do that for you. Okay, I think I hit on that hard enough. Now, just in case you're thinking, man, pastor, you're not very nice to people that are involved in a cult or a false religion. I, I hope I made this clear at the very beginning. We are not out to win arguments. What are we out to do? See people come to know Jesus. We are out to be used by Him. Now, just in case you think that I'm picking on people that believe something different, I want to reiterate that I'm not the one saying it. The New Testament is. In fact, in Ron Rhodes' book, The Challenge of the Cults and New Religions, listen to what he writes in the very first chapter. He said, Is it for good reason that every book in the New Testament except Philemon has something to say about false teachers, false prophets, false gospels, or heretics? He says, Jesus himself sternly warned his followers to watch out for false prophets in Matthew 7 and to watch out for false Christs in Matthew 24. The Apostle Paul warned of a different Jesus and a different spirit in 2 Corinthians 11, and he also warned of false apostles in 2 Corinthians 11. And he warned of those who preach another gospel in Galatians chapter 1. 1 John chapter 4 verse 1, he says, understandably urges believers to test the spirits. And he concludes this paragraph with saying this. Tell me this is not poignant and right on. He says, counterfeit prophets who speak of a counterfeit Christ, who preaches a counterfeit gospel, can only yield a counterfeit salvation. If we want people to be in heaven with Jesus forever, we cannot be afraid of speaking the true gospel. I'll ask it again at the end of service. But would we be a church that would be like the Apostle Paul, who would stand up in the face of apostasy and false teaching in a place like Rome and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Greek also. Would we be those people? Man, I am blessed to be at New Covenant and know some of you all that have no fear of what the world, of what Satan, of what false religions and, and ideologies and philosophies might bring our way because you know who you serve. And you know that the one who is in you is greater than the one of this world who is bringing about all these satanic agendas and satanic religions. Now let's get to the meat of our passage. Revelation chapter 13, I need to take us back to verse 11. We're going to take a look at how Satan pushes his agenda through what I'm calling the sinister's minister. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. Remember, the Antichrist was called a beast. So was the false prophet. It said it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. The word for another there in the Greek is the word alas. Alas literally means uh, different, but of the same kind, or another of the same kind. What makes him different? What makes him similar? Well, what's different about him is his personality. 
he is going to come a lot like Jesus did, speaking of the false prophet. He's going to come like a lamb. He looks gentle, but he's going to speak with the authority of a dragon. Remember, Jesus came as a lamb to be led to the slaughter. But remember when he spoke, what did the religious leaders say? We've never heard someone speak with this kind of authority. I believe the false prophet will come as one who is soft-spoken. However, he will speak with great authority, meaning that a lot of people are going to listen to what he has to say as he tries to mimic the Lord Jesus. Now, just like the Antichrist, the false prophet is nothing more than Satan's mouthpiece. Remember, we equated the Antichrist with little Antichrists right now living today. We will equate the false prophet that is going to come with false prophets today. False prophets are Satan's mouthpiece. And I bring that up because there's a lot of religions out there that they just sound really nice. And they sound really good. And they have done a fantastic job of wooing people in. Now I want to ask you, just for a moment of honesty, have any of y'all ever studied false religions or cults at all, at least a little bit before? And in doing so, have you ever asked yourself the question, how could somebody possibly believe this with the number of contradictions that are rife just in their own holy scriptures or the fact that it almost sounds like science fiction? In being honest, how many of you all have ever been there before after looking at what some people believe? I'm going to tell you that after studying cults and then being involved with people that are involved in cults, and I want to see people come to know Jesus, so I got to spend a lot of time with people that have been involved in false religions, I will tell you that many of them do come to the conclusion that there are contradictions, that there are errors, but they have been so wooed and the stronghold is so strong that they refuse to let go, even though it's right in front of them. And again, we have to remember that until God himself removes the veil and removes the blinder, there's not a thing that we're going to be able to say or do that is going to sway them. So you may be thinking, then why bother, Pastor? Here's why. Because what we see all throughout Scripture is that God never holds us accountable to results. He only holds us accountable to obedience. And so I would ask that as a church body, would we be obedient to sharing the gospel? Okay, taking you back to verse 11. How is he described? He's described as a beast, but yet he has two horns like a lamb and speaks like a dragon. Satan is going to use the false prophet's dynamic personality to suck people in. Most people that head up large organizations, that head up large cults, have dynamic personalities. That's the first of many things that you're going to see on your notes that are going to, sh- that are going to unpack for you how Satan uses or is going to use the false prophet. And he's using false prophets today. Now before we go any further, let me answer a question that some of you all have asked. Pastor, do you believe that the Antichrist and the false prophet are on the scene today? That they exist today? And I will say that the answer is, I do, yes. And here's why. Scripture makes extremely clear that nobody knows the day or the hour that Jesus will return. Did you know that that even includes Satan? Don't fool yourself into thinking that Satan knows everything. He is a cherubim angel who is a created being who doesn't know all things. He himself does not know when Jesus is going to come again. So I believe that ever since Jesus came on the scene, Satan has been behind the scenes raising up an antichrist and a false prophet. 
making sure that when Jesus does return and he raptures the church out of here, he's got an antichrist and a false prophet, or the antichrist and the false prophet, on the scene ready to go. Do I know who the false prophet and the antichrist are? Not a clue. And I'm not even going to try to speculate. All I can tell you is what scripture teaches, and that is that since Satan doesn't even know, he would most likely need to have somebody in his back pocket ready to go all the time. And he's grooming the world to listen to the Antichrist and the false prophet through Antichrists and false prophets right now. And he's using dynamic personalities to do so. Here's the second thing that we see about this false prophet. It's found in verses 12 through 15. It says, it, that's the false prophet, exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who are on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. We see that Satan is going to use the false prophet's demonic power to fool a lot of people. In the Greek, the word exercises is poieo. It literally means a counterfeit performance or a counterfeit exercise. His goal is going to be to woo, to win over as many people as possible into worshiping the Antichrist who ultimately becomes indwelt or possessed by Satan himself. So there's this worship of Satan. I don't know if you know it, but Satan's been looking for worship ever since his fall. He wanted to steal worship from God Almighty. And it's not going to take much to trick people. But he's going to have these demonic powers that he's going to wield, and a lot of people are going to be tricked by it. Remember last week we mentioned that the Antichrist is going to gather together as many gullible believers as he possibly can. People have been willing to buy into and listen to a lot of things without actually checking them for truth. If you all will remember, the definition of truth is that which is consistent or that which conforms to reality, which is what I love about God's Word. The biblical worldview is the only one that makes sense. You've heard the spiel, but I think it's important that we continue to go back to it. If you'll remember, our biblical worldview is answered through five basic questions. And I would ask you, which worldview answers life's five biggest questions best? Where did we come from? There is one God eternally existent who has to exist outside of finite space, time, and matter in order to bring space, time, and matter into existence. That fits the biblical worldview. Why are we here? Everybody seems to be clamoring for purpose, trying to figure out where we came from. Well, the scriptures answer it. We exist to be in relationship with God Almighty. Why do you think people want to be around each other so much? Because we were created for relationship. But ultimately, these horizontal relationships were meant to push us to the ultimate vertical relationship we're supposed to have with God Almighty. The third question is, well, what's gone wrong with the world? Well, everybody's trying to figure that one out. And Scripture answers it pretty easily. Sin is what's gone wrong with the world. We have messed it up. We've destroyed our relationships with God Almighty. We've destroyed our relationships with each other. We've destroyed what God has given to us. But that begs the fourth question. Well, that's great. Everything's destroyed. How do we get it fixed? Well, the world's got tons of answers for that too. And none of them have worked. More education hasn't solved the problem. 
Politics haven't solved the problem. Socioeconomic issues have not solved the problem. Giving people more money has not solved the problem. Getting people healthier and giving them free health care hasn't solved the problem. I would think that after a few thousand years, we begin to learn that our solutions aren't working. But that's because the solution isn't wrapped up in socioeconomics or in politics or even in religion. It's wrapped up in one person and it's a relationship with him. It's Jesus. There's our answer. He is the only one. And by the way, that answers our fifth of life's ultimate questions. Where am I going when all of this is said and done? Because again, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how many degrees you have, how much money you have. All of that goes by the wayside when this life comes to an end. So what actually matters? Well, what matters is where I'm going and who I'm going to be with. And the answer to that question depends on what you did with, with number four. You're going to go to one of two places. You're going to spend eternity separated from the one that made you to be in relationship with him, or you're going to spend eternity in heaven with him. And remember, what's going to make heaven heaven? It's going to be being with Jesus. It's going to be amazing. So the false prophet is going to use his demonic power to lure people away. I'm going to finish this point with a little illustration. Any of you all that are familiar with farming and ranching might have heard of what we call the Judas goat. If you've never heard of the Judas goat, ranchers will take this goat that will go and live with the sheep for a period of a few months. Then when slaughter day comes, the goat will lead the way and all the sheep will just blindly follow. He will walk up a ramp into a slaughterhouse or a slaughter truck and then he will walk back out leaving them to be destroyed, ultimately to be slaughtered. This is exactly what false prophets and false teachers are doing today. Many of them are garnering a large following, a lot of money, but they're leading tens of thousands to even millions of people to the slaughter. The question is, will we be those people that will get in the truck and rescue as many sheep as possible? Will we be willing to go behind enemy lines? Let's finish off our passage. It's in verses 16 through 18. It says, Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of man and his number is 666. So what we see is that Satan is going to use the false prophet's diabolical program. He's got a program. He's got a plan. As we mentioned with false religions, it's amazing how you might study it and go, why? Why do you believe this? We can see the direct contradiction. We can see that it doesn't match with reality. But that's because they have been so sucked in and there's such a stronghold over them. There's been a program that has been put in place to bring people in, which is why I would say that we have got to be people that always know not only what we believe, but why do we believe it? And now how are we going to go live that out? It's also at this point in Revelation that the false prophet is going to drop the facade of being a gentle lamb, and he's going to begin to force people to take a mark either on their forehead or on their hand. The word mark was a term that was uh, of, of an image that the Roman emperor would put on coins. They would stamp their image on the coin so they would know who the coin belonged to. But in ancient times, slaves... Um, or soldiers, or those that were in a particular cult, would also receive a mark telling people exactly who they belonged to, so that there would be no question. 
It's interesting here that the mark in Revelation 13 is in a very conspicuous place, the forehead or the hand. That way nobody has any doubt as to who you belong to. I am kind of excited about the direction that the world has gone because it's getting harder and harder for followers of Jesus to remain in what I would call the mushy middle. We're getting to a point now where it's abandon ship or burn the ships and follow Jesus for everything that he is. We're getting to that point. And frankly, it's kind of exciting because you're beginning to discover who the true followers of Jesus are and who has just made Jesus another thing that's a part of their checklist. Again, I will tell you that I believe at New Covenant we are incredibly blessed. That so many of you have decided I'm not living in the mushy middle. I'm going to go out and I'm going to share the gospel regardless of what it costs. And praise the Lord for that. I will tell you this. You won't regret it. Now, you may think, man, I'm sick of the trials, I'm sick of the tribulations this side of heaven, but remember what the Apostle Paul said after going through a shipwreck, being beaten by his fellow countrymen, being beaten by enemies, being bitten by a poisonous snake, being almost stoned to death, or maybe he was, and then God allowed him to come back to life. He said, yeah, these light and momentary afflictions are nothing compared to the eternal glory or the weight of eternal glory that I will receive or inherit when I get to heaven. Please keep that in the front of your mind. Hey, let's just be honest with each other. Have you not ever woken up or gone to bed and thought, life stinks? Come on, be real. Can we not be followers of Jesus and still sometimes think this side of heaven, life stinks? Okay, be honest. How many of y'all have ever woken up on a Monday and thought to yourself, uh-uh, not getting out of bed. Don't care how many times I have to hit the alarm. Don't care how many cups of coffee you tempt me with. This is not the day. Y'all ever felt like that before? I mean, if we're being real people? Because I, I think we tend to think, well, we're at church. I got to put on the smiley face and just act like everything's great, man. You know, I'm a believer. So when I run into people, regardless of how bad my day is going, my response is God is good. To which my response is always the same. No kidding. God is good. Tell me something I don't know. Now, how are you really doing? Because what I love about the God that we serve, as opposed to the God of the cults, is that we don't always have to put on the perfect smiley face. We actually serve a God who came down and walked with us and endured some of the very things that we endure, and now we get to be real with them. Now, I'm not saying live a pity party. And I'm not saying be, in a, be a person that's complaining all the time because we're way too blessed to be complainers. We just get to be real when we're struggling. And then we get to lay that at the feet of a real and living God who died for us and then rose again. Let me get ready to wrap this up with a question that I get a lot. What's the meaning of the number 666? Oh my goodness. Once again, if you were to Google 666, just read what you come up with, or even some of the commentaries by supposedly Christian authors, what they've come up with. Once again, let's not make the scriptures say something they don't say. The passage itself actually gives us some of the answer. What is the number 666 attached to? Man, it's the number of man. Man always falls short of God's glory. It's also attached to the unholy trinity, Satan who tries to mimic God the Father, 
uh, the Antichrist who tries to mimic God the Son, and the false prophet who tries to mimic God the Holy Spirit, which is why I believe it's cubed. Three sixes, all three of them fall short. Did you know that Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and mankind will always be a six? They will always fall short of God's glory, where in Scripture the number seven is representative of, of completion or perfection. God will always be a seven. Satan will always be a six, which is why you and I can look at the enemy, look at the philosophies of the world, and say the one who is in me is greater than the one of this world. Amen. He will always fall short. Let me close with an illustration that kind of made me chuckle. How many of y'all have ever heard of the great composer Johann Sebastian Bach? When he got older and his kids were growing up, he used to take a lot of daytime naps. But his kids wanted dad to play. And he was a deep sleeper. So they would try everything. They'd try to wake him up, they'd try to push him. Well, they finally discovered how to wake dad up. Now remember, he's one of the greatest composers of all time. They would go to the piano. They would play a few lines of music that he had written, but they'd always leave off the last note to which he'd pop up and have to rush to the piano and finish off the last note. And I thought to myself, what an illustration of human nature. We have such a deep desire for the completion of the final note. And we are the ones that are always trying to complete it until we meet Jesus. Because many of us sitting in this room have recognized that the only place that we can actually find the final note is not a place and it's not a philosophy and it's not an ideology. It's wrapped up in a person. And his name's Jesus. Well, chapter 13 is a rough chapter. We hit on the Antichrist. We hit on the false prophet. We hit on some of the things that we see running rampant in our society. But again, I want to finish us with this message that we see all throughout Scripture. And I'm going to be a spoiler Revelation chapter 22 tells us at the very end of the book of Revelation, as much of a push as Satan will make and the Antichrist will make and the false prophet will make and the false prophets and false Antichrists and the false world religions of the world and all the evil will make, in the end, Jesus wins. Can we not say, come Lord Jesus? Come Lord Jesus, come quick. Anybody been, been shouting that out this week? Hey, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Doesn't mean he's going to come when we want him to. Doesn't mean that quick in our mind is the same as quick in God's mind. But let's continue to cry out, Lord Jesus, come. And would you come quickly? Because we can't wait to be with you. In the meantime, let's keep worshiping him and making him known. Amen? Let me pray for us. When I'm done, I just want to um, just remind you of one quick thing so don't run out of here after I say amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you that even in the midst of satanic agendas, in the midst of satanic religions, in the midst of idolatry and immorality and atheism, Lord, nothing takes you by surprise. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the one who spoke all things into existence in six literal days. And that was nothing for you. Lord, if you could speak all that we know of in the universe in six days, undoubtedly, you can deal with the trials and the tribulations that we face here on this tiny planet. Lord, we are so thankful that nothing takes you by surprise, Lord Jesus. We are so thankful 
that you entered into your creation and you walked with us when you didn't have to. You saved us and you rescued us when you didn't have to. Lord, you took wretched people and you turned them into children of God. You took paupers and beggars and you turned us into princes and princesses of the king. And so, Lord, we are so thankful that you loved us enough to reach down and rescue us even when we were yet sinners. Lord Jesus, we ask that your name would be made known, that you would be made famous throughout Albuquerque and throughout New Mexico and throughout our great nation and throughout this globe that you have made. Lord, we can't wait to the day where we get to see you face to face and we get to worship you with literally millions of others from every language, nation, tribe, and tongue that you have died for and saved. What a blessed day that will be. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this day. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray together. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.